Today is August 2nd, 2016. You're listening to The Paul List, a daily comics analysis podcast. I'm Tuply on Twitter at T-W-O-P-L-A-I, or you can email me at Tuply at gmail.com. The Paul List is a daily podcast where I pick a comic every single day. On Tuesdays, we talk about the Tuesday trade paperback where I cover um, a trade, an arc, um, a storyline from um, a publisher such as Image or Dark Horse or Boom or Valiant or Dynamite or Titan, something like that. And today, we're talking about Shudder, Volume 4, written by Joe Keating with art by Leila Del Duca from Image Comics, colored by Owen Gianni and lettered by John Workman. Um, and, uh, you know, our Tuesday trade paperback is a time to kind of get deep with a story arc. And I'm excited to be talking about the fourth volume of Shudder. Um, I'm a huge fan of Image. I'm a, uh, I love the, the, the curation work that they do of really finding um, creators who, um, you know, sometimes they're really at the top of the game in um, either in indie comics or in, um, you know, big two Marvel DC comics or whatever. Um In the case of somebody like Joe Keating, it's often somebody that they've cultivated a relationship over time, and um, they trust him as a creator. And uh, Joe Keating brought aboard Leila Del Duca for this series, Shudder, um, about a couple couple years ago. So now we're into the fourth volume. And you know what? This is actually one of the things that I was really excited about um, when I started doing this podcast, which is talking about the fourth volume of um, of a book because, you know, truth be told, there's a lot of podcasts out there. There's a lot of comics, blogs and reviewing websites and stuff like that. And I think um, there's so much comics coverage out there, so much that um, they talk about. And it's great. There's a lot of great resources out there. But sometimes what I would find is that I would be reading something in a dedicated way, reading something in a way that I was into the fourth volume or into the 29th issue or into the 46th <laughs> issue or the, the 12th year of a, of a run and really want to talk to somebody or, or hear from somebody about reading that far into it and then finding that you know everybody was covering the latest thing, the newest thing. And um, or they were talking about something, you know, years, years old. Everybody's reading reading Preacher or everybody's reading Sandman or whatever. And so I I was excited about the idea of doing an analysis podcast because I wanted to talk about something really um, maybe deeper into the uh, into the into the run. And um, and Shudder is a book that I've been excited about since its inception. I got to be honest, though, this is um, one of those books that you you. You love the way it opens. You follow along. You buy every monthly issue, you being me in this case. (laughs) And then at some point, something about the experience of reading the book monthly, um, instead of reading it as a whole big chunk, starts to frustrate you. And I want to talk about that because that's how I honestly felt at a certain point around issue 11, 12, 13 of Shudder. You know, the Shudder's... um, uh, one of the characteristics of it was its was its cover design, which I thought was really smart and just good looking. It was irresistible um, on the comic shop shelf. And when I opened it, the art inside was gorgeous. Um, Leila Del Duca was a discovery. Um, and so I, uh, I I picked up Shutter issue one and and bought it monthly, you know, um, for a really long time, really for over a year. Um, but there came a point where I started to become frustrated frustrated with the story and I jumped off the book um, decided to trade weight a little bit uncertain whether or not trade weighting would even itself be feel worthwhile um, 
But I got to tell you, after four volumes, I am fully back on. In fact, I am probably going to jump back to picking it up monthly. Um, and just so you think about a little bit the way that the book is structured, uh, you know, the first volume came out, it was six issues. Um, it was called Wonderlust. Um, at that point, I, I, sorry, Wanderlust, I should say, to enunciate clearly to reflect the um, little play on words that they did with that title. Um, but um, just to get back to the premise, and, and I'll talk about the book for a while sans spoilers, and then I'll get into a more detailed spoilery section so that um, I can try to sell those of you who haven't read Cheddar on the book, and those of you who have, we can get into the details of volume four. So, um, like I said, the, the, the first volume, the opening six issues, I thought were just um, splendid, you know, and, and gorgeous. I had heard. Um, some interviews or read some interviews with um, with Joe Keating and with Layla Del Duca. I was super impressed with their artistic style. Here was an adventure comic, uh, but an adventure comic where the um, protagonist, the main protagonist, was a heroine and one that didn't take you know much guff from anybody. Um, she was tough. Um, she had a uh, obviously deep and and um, affectionate relationship with her father, where she wasn't afraid to bite back a little bit um and to be tough and um but you know they had they went on all these adventures and now he was gone and now she was trying to make a life for herself past the the um the time when she was you know a young adventurer and here was you know i just have imagined um the kind of story that uh you know i don't know when you when you read stuff like nancy drew or when you imagine a young indiana jones and what happens when they are no longer young adventurers or young explorers what happens in their late 20s and 30s when they start to have to figure out what their adult life means after all of the adventures that they had in i don't know goonies or whatever and um and so that's really what i envision the story as and it really proved to be that in that opening arc but it was really in the second arc and reading it monthly that I started to feel like what initially attracted me to the book was actually pushing me away to some extent um, what I mean is that um, Shutter Volume 1 sort of was sort of a um, all out you know no holds barred wild fantasy adventure it was sort of like I don't know if it was Joe Keating saying look at this artist Leo Del Duca she can do anything and you know so in the first issue you had um you know you had moon adventures you had um a world that was somewhat like our own with you know subways and cities but also with you know um steampunk era robots and ghost ninjas and monster gangster I mean animal gangsters and um you know crazy monsters and <laughs> gorilla doctors and just it was just craziness and it was clear that um, uh, Del Duca had a sort of a baseline style that she was drawing in. Um, and then she had a sort of um, mix of, of almost mock, that's probably like homage styles that she was going to, to mix into the art. Um, there were pages that were sort of had this digital sheen and other pages that had um, this uh, 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 sort of... Um, sort of old comics quality, you know, a lot of that done by kind of a zipatone style um, where, you know, you have those little dots, um, little tiny dots that make up the page that make it look like an old, old, old comic. Um, and, you know, this mixture of styles plus the sort of um, very wild um, world building, it reminded me of the best of European comics. 
I mean, here was the adventurousness of Tintin. Here was the um, crazy world building of um, Mobius. Here was the um, sort of monsters and um, aliens and, and sort of no fear excitement of, you know, your, your best 2000 AD or your best heavy metal stuff um, without so much misogyny. <laughs> um, but Shadow was just exciting in that way. And in the first six issues, I just felt like there was a pull. There was a narrative pull, this question of who it is that's doing all this stuff to Kate, um, the main character. Um, she's a photographer, which is why it's called Shudder, but that sort of seems to be quickly tossed to the wayside. But she's the son, uh, sorry, the daughter of uh, Chris Christopher, who was sort of a famous adventurer. They went on adventures together. He died and disappeared. She discovers she has siblings that she never knew about. There's this journey, a fight against um, some some um, uh, assassins going after her, or uh, she has a, a, a sort of... Um, uh, what is it? Sort of a cat, um, a Felix the cat looking alarm clock who is a robot who talks and who is a character, a, a butler who is a skull head. Um, <laughs> if I haven't drawn you in by now, then you're never going to be drawn in. But um, Shudder was just weird and awesome, awesomely weird. And I and I enjoyed that in the first arc. And, I, and there was this intrigue, um, this mystery thread that sort of um, held it all together, kept me going, despite how jarring it was to go to to all these different worlds. Um, I think with the second volume, what happened is that there, many of those elements were still there, started to introduce this evil sort of, you know, um, cabal or Illuminati type thing um, called Prospero. And then we started entering a dream world and all this kind of stuff. And I started to feel, you know, I, what it was, I, I really honestly tried to read over and over and over again the issues, um, and I liked that. I continued to take it to places, both um, fantasy, both fantastical and um, geographically. Um, it continued to do the comic strip homages and the satires, uh, the artistic satires, as part of its storytelling, as if it were conscious that it were a comic book, as if it were pushing the boundaries of comics, um, as if it were... Um, asking questions about all of its predecessors in the history of comics adventure telling adventure story adventurous storytelling um but i started to get kind of lost in all of it you know I, I felt a little bit cold to it um it was like there were too many twists that were almost like hey look what we can do look what you know leila del duca can do as an artist hey look look at what i can pull out of my pocket as you know joe keating the the writer the storyteller um, together with Del Duca, they they just it just felt to started to feel like a big giant show, and I didn't really have a strong sense of where it was going. Um, and at the end of the second arc, it actually said Act One, end of Act One, and you know <laughs> this could be a five act play Shakespeare style, but my guess then was that it was a three arc, uh, three act structure, and that we had just wrapped up the first act and. Actually, seeing that was helpful to me because it m let me feel like, okay, it's not, this isn't going nowhere. Um, some of my frustration, I realized, was impatience, um, storytelling impatience. Some of it was that it just felt like such a massive conspiracy, none of which, uh, not all of which um, may be explained, M much of it may be explained by just the fact of how fun it is to string you along and bring you to these new places that I didn't know that I would be satisfied. 
I being such a um, old school <laughs> person who just demanded satisfaction out of my narratives. One of the things that I've realized um, in reading Shudder is that, um, you know, uh, I don't know if you've seen, if you watched Lost or if you followed the show Lost all the way through its five seasons or whatever it was, but um, I I loved that show. <laughs> my wife and I devoured that show. And, you know, there, there was a point really early on where, you know, and having seen other J.J. Abrams shows, by that point we were sort of like, okay, this is you know, a cliffhanger, this is mysterious, but this is not all going to get explained, is it? You know, and in the end, it absolutely didn't. It didn't get explained. Um, I won't spoil the ending of Lost for anybody who's still keeping it, storing it in their back pocket for one day in the future, but um, let's just say that there's many mysteries that are introduced that have that find no explanation, really no explanation, um, really outlandish mysteries that really were just meant to um, provoke, I think. And, um, and you know, I think a lot of people got to the ending of Lost and were like, what, what was that, you know, as a sort of, as a plot, as a conspiracy, as a mystery, it was just super dissatisfying. Um, but I, I'll be honest, I liked the ending of lost I'm, I'm almost scared to say and it i think it shows what a sentimentalist i am what a sucker i am for character because ultimately what i think the producers of lost and again not to give too much away but it doesn't matter because it doesn't make sense anyway but i think ultimately what the producers of lost decided was that um we had all this mystery we had all this intrigue we had this island but ultimately this was a character piece this was about these people, their backstories, their present, and then their futures and how they would unfold. And what they ended up doing is they didn't satisfyingly wrap up any of the plot, really, or much of the care of, of the mysteries or the the intriguing setting that was initially the um, attraction. They what they did is they tried to bring a satisfying character end to the story. Um, and so I, and I'm not trying to, um, accuse <laughs> Shudder of the same sort of nonsensical storytelling that, um, Lost committed itself to as a TV show who, that couldn't command its own structure very well. Um, because you didn't know if you were going to have another season or another three seasons or what. So you did it episode by episode and strung your viewers along. <laughs> with their crazy their crazy theories on uh, message boards and stuff like that. No, I I I think I trust that Shutter has um well actually uh 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 Keating has said in interviews that he's already scripted the last few pages or whatever. So he knows where this story goes. Um but I do think there is a fair amount of improvisation in the storytelling along the way and some of it seems to have to do with let's go where our fancy takes us let's have a story that's expansive enough that it goes where the story takes us and i have no idea if keating and del duca intended this but i almost feel a little bit like there's an imaginative world that they you know chalk up to a bunch of influences many of them many of those influences comics del duca has talked about mark schultz and mignola as influences um there's a lot of 
signs and evidence of European comics as influence. Um, I don't know if it's apparent, but I see a lot of Tintin, as I mentioned before, and, and Mobius. I, I also see a little bit of Hugo Pratt and a, and a, and a Cordo Maltese um, style of storytelling in some places. I don't know if I'll have t time to get into that. But um, I feel like that they what, what, what these creators have done is they've decided we have an overall arc a direction that this is all going but in the meanwhile let's kind of take us where our fancy takes us and it reminds me a little bit of photography and that's why i think the shutter title is so appropriate although again i don't know that the creators intended this when you photograph something you go to a place or you go to an event you go to a you know you're, you're photographing a wedding or you're doing a photo shoot of a family or you're going to do nature photography and you know that you're going to capture, you, you have some sense of what it is that you're going to capture, but you're also ready. You have to be ready to be caught off guard by the breathtaking beauty of something unexpected. You know, that moment between the father and the, and the bride that you didn't expect would happen, but you just are, are ready to try to capture it in, in the shutter um, and, you know, make sense of it through whatever lenses that you, that you can and having those lenses available to you. Um, and I feel a little bit like um, Keating and Del Duca are like, hey, there's this huge imaginative world out there that we have gleaned uh, from, you know, pop culture period or, or whatever, you know, pop culture and literary culture period or whatever. And we're just gonna follow the story and we have a sense of where it's going and what it's for ultimately, but we're also gonna just see where it takes us and i think that was a really exciting feeling it was an exciting feeling in the first volume it was still exciting throughout um and actually reading it in trades the rereading you know volumes one two and three i was like this coheres this this works but i think in the month to month i just had a really hard time maintaining my trust in that um and you know th the truth is there's a lot of issues that may feel gimmicky but those are but they're gimmicks I like you know um, they, they borrow from other styles of other comics that's that's a gimmick but it's also again a gimmick I like <laughs> and um, and I think what I have to say most of all about volume four and then soon I'll have to end the um, non spoiler part but is that um, volume four I think is is getting back on the track in some senses um, it's it's highly structured while leaving some room for the kind of improvisation that I was talking about. The title of Volume 4 is All Roads. And you do get the sense that now we explored a wide expanse where our imagination took us, but the roads are going to lead us somewhere. And the end of Volume 4 actually says end of Act 2. And so I think we're looking at two more volumes, two more arcs that wrap that bring the story to a head and you can actually tell the momentum of the story is headed that way too so i'm i mean i guess <laughs> i guess what i'm saying at the end of volume four for any of you who haven't read it is you know let me signal the all clear you know this this is a journey that it's safe to come on you won't be um frustrated i think like you like some people were with say lost <laughs> or the sense that it's sort of an endless um uh, you know, stringing you along. And, you know, uh, the the endless stringing you along when, when it comes to serialized storytelling, you know, a lot of that has to do with your medium and your market. Um, you know, I, I was saying like Lost 
had to deal with being a TV show of not really knowing for sure how many seasons it would run and then how long we had to pull the story um, going. If you're a Walking Dead fan um, or if you're an Invincible fan, um, you know, I've read a lot of uh, a scary amount of both, but I, I don't actually, I'm not a huge fan of, of either of them. Um, I like Invincible. I, I have a hard time with Walking Dead. But anyway, you know, you know that he is pulling you along for an um, almost unending story, you know, and if it ends, it will probably end because of market reasons. And, he, you know, Kirkman will try to tidy, tidily wrap it up with story reasons but there's a million places where that story could have ended um but you know it's the nature of that serial storytelling that's going to pull you along and, and you know same is true of of many superhero comics and stuff like that that are in this perpetual storytelling mode um or even really great works like usagi yojimbo um but i think that there's something really satisfying and you know i blame brian k vaughn and i i blame neil gaiman and stuff like that for spoiling us on the idea that there's a beginning, middle, and end to a long story and how satisfying that can be. And um, and a lot of times I think I'm hoping for that. I'm looking for that in these image series. Um, and so um, this the maybe the notion that uh, there are all roads leading somewhere in Volume 4 makes Shudder an even more enticing read. Um, I think the other thing that you always have to respect about Shudder and you always need to talk about is just Leila Del Duca being amazing. Um, she is wholly original, and yet she is such a tribute to artists of the past. Um, as I said, she um, she has saluted before in interviews that I've read, Mignola and um, uh, Sean Murphy and uh, you know uh, and Mark Schultz, um, uh, all artists who you can see the evidence of the work of their influence in her work she just knows how to draw adventure and you know in her tributes that she's often doing there'll be suddenly a page of very clearly you know um i don't know i don't know if it's orosawa or some manga artist maybe just manga you know and then there'll be a page of comic strip newspaper comic strip stuff um but it's all sprinkled in a very um tight style that i think is actually super consistent um in in the third volume um i don't think this is giving anything away there's even some grant morrison-esque you know fourth wall breaking awareness of self as comic um that occurs and of course she's on a drug trip when that happens <laughs> but uh, by her from provided by her grandfather <laughs> um but anyway um that art too is I guess it's it's um, that what I'm saying that about Del Duca's art is that it's beautiful to look at. It's also self-aware, and it's also in conversation with so many other things that um, I think it's um, I think it's just a spectacle in itself. Even if the story was lousy, um, Del Duca's art would be worth hanging around for. Um, but yeah, but this story is not lousy, and I want to talk about that story. So, um, so I'm gonna say spoiler mark here, spoiler Rubicon here, and henceforth I will talk a little bit about details. Um, and so, if you haven't read it, I uh, encourage you to both pick up all four volumes of Shutter, um, Volume Four, out this week. And I also encourage you to <laughs> uh, come back tomorrow for the next um, episode of the Paul List. I'll be talking about my new comic book day picks and um, Mycroft number one from Titan Comics 
written by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, with art, I don't remember his name. I'll, t- I'll talk about it tomorrow. Okay, um, so now that we've stalled long enough for the spoiler folks to um, shut, it down, shut it off. Um, yeah, so what is it about Volume 4 that made it redeem um, Shudder totally for me? Uh, you know, and, and in Volume 3, I wasn't um, off the book. I was just not as warm to it as I initially was. But I feel like in in the first uh, issue of this chapter, Volume, I'm uh, sorry, Chapter 18, which was also Issue 18, you know, you start back uh, on the thing that I was saying earlier felt like it was missing, which was there was just so much extravagant and fantastic storytelling and world building and then you know going into all these different worlds that i kind of lost my grip on the characters i kind of lost a sense of caring i I was even kind of annoyed with kate (laughs) at a certain point you know um but um you know i think that uh i i i wonder if if keating and and del duca felt that or even heard that complaint um because in 18 there's a really severe course correction and then the rest of the arc the whole you know five issues of the arc are really structured around character and i think it's that return to character development that um made this so satisfying for me as i was saying earlier about lost it's sort of like i don't need all of the loose ends tied up and i don't need all of the um conspiracy explained um, and I think their awareness of that is really exemplified by issue 18 because basically the issue is structured with a back and forth between um, Kate Christopher explaining to her, you know, gathered, assembled team um, all, all the facts that she's know, she knows and she's learned from these files, <laughs> which she's put together into a PowerPoint, right? Um, and meanwhile... Um, there's all these flashbacks because she's she and we assume she herself is flashing back to her memories of her love you know former um, love interest Huckleberry, and um, you know we see all these scenes and it's just I think it's really well done those flashbacks and the the very quick unfolding of their story um, as always being the prude that I am I could do without the brief panel of sex scene but that's just me <laughs> I mean it's, it's tastefully done I guess um, but really it's um, it's uh, uh, kind of unpacking who Huckleberry is, her relationship with um, uh, uh, with Kate, and you know it it becomes a relationship you care about. You you already probably cared about Huckleberry to some extent, but you know just seeing that romantic backstory is is kind of a save the cat. You know, like okay, this is why we have affection and care about this character and this relationship. Um, and uh, <laughs> But I think it's notable that the issue is basically, here's the plot details. Uh, I'm not paying attention to them. <laughs> so you see these, you know, couple of slides and a few words from Kate explaining everything. But we're not actually going to do any of that exposition of the back history of Prospero or the Christophers or whatever. We're just going to sort of get the gist of it and really hone in on the characters. Um, and then by the end of that issue, we see um, Cassius is back. You know, and so, and so I, I really think the arc is all about filling in the characters and making them meaningful to us. Um, and then, of course, at the very end, um, spoiler, 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 dismembering them all, <laughs> all of the uh, the children. And so, you know, the five issues are structured. The five chapters are structured on filling in who are the these seven kids of of um, you know Chris Christopher. 
Um, in issue 19, I think that exemplifies it really clearly. This is the issue that has three um, horizontal uh, uh, panels that tell three separate stories that you can read, you know, either across throughout the book or down throughout the book. Um, again, another one of these gimmicks, but I think a gimmick that works for me, um, you know, each with their own specific color, the top being Chris, younger Chris, Chris Jr.'s story, the second being the leopard, um, and then the, or uh, Kate's twin, and then the third being Kalyan's story. Um, and in telling their stories, I think we're meant to, again, become, again, sympathetic to care again about the characters, um, but, to, but also to imagine this character who's always been hanging around the background of this whole thing which is um which is uh you know kate's father and in a way to to humanize him as somebody who obviously has some serious character foibles uh and flaws but also um is you know is dedicated to his his children i mean that's kind of the bottom line i mean you feel like a person who is going out adventuring and leaving litters of children all over the place um, is not a sympathetic character as a father. And yet I think that part of what this is about is making him sympathetic, which is of course key in, in how it comes around at the end. And so there's a lesson I think in character development in this story here, which is that um, uh, as fantastical as your worlds are, you know, we need a kind of emotional root we need something that keeps us, you know, that's what the, it's kind of a cheesy book, but it's a screenwriting book called Save the Cat. I alluded to earlier. I forgot who the author of it is, an experienced screenwriter. But it's a very simple principle. At some point, you know, if there's a character that we're supposed to care about, you have to have that character save the cat. And all that means is that you have, they have to do something that makes us like them. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a point that um, this writer says is too often neglected in modern cinema, cinema Everybody trying to do their postmodern thing, um, neglect the basic thing that we, that viewers want, which is to care about the characters and to like them, uh, even villains, to have something about them that makes us care about them, and um, and that save the cat moment is um, for a lot of these characters. I think for a lot of the characters, they've been held back, and you kind of assume that there is something there because there's all kinds of allusions to them. But here, I think, is when. Um, when Keating and Del Duca are just really like, un, you know, just letting it, letting it go. And, and I don't know if when you, when they started it, that was an intentional choice. You know, I don't know if they sat there and corresponded with each other or whatever and said, we're not really going to flesh out some of the backstory of these care, a lot of the backstory of these characters that makes us care about them and like them until volume four, or if they were sort of like in the course of the storytelling, as I was saying earlier, being imaginative and painting these worlds and sucking you into the adventure and then, you know, decided, hey, wait, you know, I think we need to sprinkle in, we need to keep the the plot going, which it, it certainly is moving in this arc, but we need to take, uh, uh, maybe take it a little bit slower or do some more character work in between. Um, I don't know how that process went. I'd be interested in asking them. Um, and, and, you know, I could actually see a rationale where you don't do that, where um, actually I think there's a lot of good precedence in good sci-fi that you don't, um, you you actually hold back on the um, the the character information until you know actually just almost every great work of sci-fi. I mean, two thousand and one, and you know you could talk about 
things like Dune or do androids dream of electric, what is it, Blade Runner, you know? Um, or even recently, The Martian. I was actually thinking about The Martian recently um, and how we are thrown into the action, we're thrown into the universe, we're thrown into the problem, um, the facts of who um, uh, uh, Matt Damon's character who he is, or the facts of who the characters in Gravity, for instance, who they are, um, come later. And I think that's a strategy. And I wonder if that's the strategy um, of of this book. Uh, if it's not, <laughs> um, if it is just sort of like, um, uh, you know, ex post facto, we need to stuff in some more character stuff. That's cool, too. I'm, I'm here. I'm aboard for the ride. So um, in... Uh, Issue 20, we have the um, clear line style at last, which is something that Del Duca talks about a lot. Um, the clear line style being the, you know, sort of Franco-Belgian, uh, Hergé and Tintin and uh, others like that um, style really kind of being, I think, actually parodied. Some of the style um, uh, homages, I think, are more extreme than others. And, um, well, I think they're all pretty, you know, loud. Um, <laughs> I Del Duca is good at signaling, this is what I'm doing. And um, I think it's so appropriate that it winds up in this issue for this character, uh, Miley, who is basically the the um, the contrast, the foil character of what if you didn't um, follow your nose for adventure and you just were comfortable staying home. You know, Kate, what if you what if you didn't um, stick your nose into every mess and feel the need to. Um, you know, vindicate yourself or get every question answered or, or, you know, whatever, or extract yourself through, um, getting revenge or, or whatever. Uh, you could say, you could say it's not Kate's fault that she's in the midst of all this, but anyway, I think Miley is the, the, the foil, the one who, uh, isn't on the adventure. Um, and then in 21, um, you have Achebe and Zora. And I think what's clear to me is that they'll be back because they provide the key to, how you get into the cathedral, uh, you know, they know they, they're outsiders. They're not in the Christopher game. They're also not in the um, Prospero game. And so they're, they're a card that I think is being held on to to play later on. Um, but of course, then the issue, uh, the last chapter is the Red Wedding style devastation you know you have um ulysses you get a sneaking suspicion because his daughter is like why and and all weird even though he's this um mega comforting um you know sibling that they've found and then there's the uh brief scene of mignola tribute um uh, in in his memory and you just know it's gonna get very dark <laughs> the mignola being the segue to the dark is um is awesome and then, uh, of course, mass slaughter, and then, uh, and then Chris. Um, I think that the overall um, satisfying thing about this—it's uh, of course it's unsatisfying. It's the end of arc, uh, you know, of of Act Two, <laughs> Arc Four, Act Two, and um, and of course you, you just, I'm just like, come on, you know, let's let's move on, let's get to the the last act. I want to know what happens. Um, but I think the really satisfying thing is that. Um, those of us who were holding out for character um, got it here. Um, we got, we cared again. Um, by the time they dismember everybody, um, you know, that missing arm is uh, way more meaningful than the missing arms of earlier in the book. Um, and uh, and these, we, we want 
you know, we want this family. We want this, you know, sort of, um, you know, gather round, rounding up the troops, um, gathering the team. We expected them to sort of march into the the heist or whatever um, at the at the peak of their game, and instead we get this um, really uh, severe undercutting of what we had come to care about. And I think that's a um, I don't know. It's I don't, did, did everybody else see it coming? I just it was a twist to me. Um, that ending got me. <laughs> just as the red wedding got me because thankfully I am a um, social pariah and nobody had spoiled it for me and I, I knew it was coming. I mean, I didn't know it was coming and it shocked me. Uh, so did so too with this. All right. If you haven't read it, volume four, and you're still listening, I'm really sorry. You should have turned me off when I warned you earlier. Um, okay. Well, um, yeah. Once again, it's gone way too long. I didn't get to talk about how um, I thought that Del Duca's art um, has actually kind of evolved and it's evolved to make this character work um, really significant. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, not, not evolved in the sense that there, were, there wasn't kind of a hyper-competence before, not that her, you know, Jamie McKelvey uh, tributes <laughs> aren't, um, weren't, you know, just as good uh, in issue four or five more that I think what she's come to do is to, to, um, take advantage of what I, what I think was there from the outset, which was an ability to make regular interaction, um, very peaked. And I think a lot of that has to do with, um, I guess dialing a little bit back on the, mobius quality world building and maybe dialing up a little bit more the um uh and i don't know which artist i guess this was where i was saying hugo pratt pratt had an ability with a spare amount of lines to make a lot of um communication happen with um with body and face and i and i feel like she's Del Duca's always been good at that, and I feel like she has to rely on that more in these art in these issues. Um, for instance, when um, uh, when Kate is approaching Myela's uh, island or whatever home across the lake, and you see on her face as she's sort of um, organizing her hair, <laughs> you see this the doubt on her face about what she's doing, and uh, it just just human stuff that reads really really well uh, again it's always been there but i think this arcaster rely on it quite a lot um yeah all right i'm out of time so i'll just leave it at that <laughs> all right this has been uh, my my take on shutter volume four i'd love to hear what you think um love to hear if you're enjoying the the podcast um like i said i'm going to talk about mycroft tomorrow and my new comic book day picks I'm going to talk about, um, oh, the Thursday throwback will be about Peanuts, the um, Schultz uh, IDW Artist Edition, and then Friday Family Graphic Novel will be March Volume 3, and that'll be the week until I take a break. So please let me know if you enjoy this, and um, then I would be even more motivated to come back and to keep this going. Um, I'm at 2ply on Twitter or ply at gmail.com. You can find me also on Tubler, but I haven't been posting there as I'm intended to. And um, 
yeah, thanks for listening, and I hope you would keep on reading. Yeah.